Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm excited to have an interview with Cecil Castellucci, author of a new graphic novel, Shifting Earth, out soon here in 2022. Also the author of some outstanding comics like Shade the Changing Girl, The Plain Janes, Batgirl, Female Furies, and Soupy Leaves Home, among others. Uh, Shifting Earth is the new graphic novel we're going to be focused on today. It's from Burger Books. It's a parallel Earth story where it, you know, it's about what it takes to save a world, uh, climate change, and fighting for the future, and quite a bit more. Minor spoilers. For the book may follow. I don't want to spoil it because it's brand new, uh, but I do want to talk about it in some depth. So Cecil, thanks so much for joining today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Absolutely. I'm happy to. So l- let's start with uh, with Shifting Earth and just kind of broadly, what was the inspiration for not only this story, but in terms of telling it as a graphic novel with Burger Books? So, uh, you know, like, a week and a half before lockdown, Karen was in Los Angeles and, um, you know, I've known her since my plain Jane days and, you know, she's always been kind of a mentor to me. I feel like I was part of the last sort of, even though I wasn't on vertigo, the last sort of vertigo group and of creators that she was helping to cultivate. And, um, we went out for lunch and just talked about maybe trying to do a book. And then a week and a half later, we (laughs) went inside and, um, she said, well, why don't we just keep talking? And I started uh, trying to avoid going to the grocery store, as we all did. And um, I started scrapping um, seeds a lot from, you know, like if I made some tomato salad, then I would like save the seeds and plant them and like, you know, grow new tomatoes or peppers or things like that. So I was really, because I live in Los Angeles, yeah, sure. a big garden. And that sort of got me going down like a rabbit hole of... Um, seeds and thinking about the seed bank that's in Svalbard and thinking about uh, botanists who go and try to find um, wild, uh, you know, uh, versions of plants that are growing on the sides of roads and up in mountains that, you know, have sort of been protected from the sort of homogenous thing in order to, you know, sort of bring those traits and elements back into the plants to diversify so that plants in the future can, um, you know, withstand the climate crisis that's happening. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of space time. And, um, and uh, so I just started thinking like, you know, what would happen if you were pulled over to a, an earth that had everything that we needed, but was sort of on a, you know, on a different road and you had a chance to save your world, but then you sort of have to make a choice about which one you have to save. Yeah, no, it's all interesting. I, I think the one piece that I found very interesting is this, like you could make an assumption that, okay, it's, it's a parallel earth story. It's focused on the climate disaster and focused in, you know, a few decades in the future where obviously things have gotten worse. Um, And our our lead character is very focused on, you know, basically like the ecological efforts that need to happen for the survival of humanity. And and is very, I don't even think pessimistic is the right word. So much is just mad, right? And, And angry with like the state of things it would be easy to assume that like, okay, the alternate reality is going to be this, like, it's a green earth. It's going to be this idyllic paradise, but here we see problems, right? And, and we see that, well, the human element of this, uh, tends to lead to issues regardless of, of the focus on, on how green and and how natural everything is. Um, why was this an, an important 
part of the story for you and, and something you wanted to make sure you communicated? I mean, yeah, I think our tendency is to think like, oh, if we only did this, then we would have a utopia. And I don't necessarily believe that utopias uh, are really possible. I think it's possible for us to uh, work in better ways and, and to strategize. But I think that you know, humans um, self-organize in certain ways and self-sabotage in certain ways, and that that man- would manifest differently if a um, if a world uh, evolved in a different way. You know, with uh, with humans on it, with different sort of base circumstances. So I th- I wanted that to be the same because I wanted it to be relatable. Like, oh, right, I get who these people are because they're just like our people, but they were just dealt a different deck of cards. Um, so, uh, and I think that, uh, the, you know, the sort of conceit is that it's, there is no quick solution. There's no like place that you can go to and it's going to be solved no matter what. We always, as humans have to constantly be working to make our world better together. And I wanted it to be sort of a hopeful solution for, um, for working together. You know, the people that she meets on the other uh, world, you know, are trying to make their own world better in, in in the circumstances that they have, or are misled by the circumstances that they have, just like we are on our planet, you know, and, um, and so I wanted that to be another one of the parallels. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I think the, there's a clear battle here. And I think it's something that is very relevant and, and prevalent for a lot of readers, which is the battle of hope versus despair. You know, it's extremely meaningful. I think it's it's extremely difficult, frankly, whether we're looking at climate change or any number of other issues, right? It feels like every week, every week. there's a, a new one in the spotlight, you yeah. know, and it's it's a challenge. Yeah. Um what you kind of you kind of spoke to it here, but but with climate change specifically, how do you I, I think it's very easy to sink into despair with this mm-hmm. one, especially if you get fixated on the problems and kind of where the earth is heading. Um, how'd you kind of counterbalance that and maintain the sense of hope? That is, you know, it's a fiction, right? It's a story. Like you get to do that. Um, how did you kind of balance that in terms of your own approach and process, but then just how you personally think about it? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think hope is kind of, it's very passive, right? It's a passive word, right? It's like we can have hope, but that's not really action. And I think that like, um, the hope is in the action, right? Everyone in, the, in shifting earth is taking actions to try to make the world better in the way that they think that it can be better. Um, you know, and that even goes for the, for the, you know, for the person who is the most messed up, you know, the, the, the big bad in, in, in the book, um, on the parallel world, even that person thinks that they are doing better for their world, but they're all trying to take actions. And I think that like one of the great things about science fiction is that, you know, the tradition of science fiction is that it um, tries to uh, allow, it gives you the ideas to be able to think in, in uh, 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 new ways in, you know, uh, with, you know, not the circumstances that you actually are living through. And so, um, so I think that it's the, you know, one of the things that, artists can do to help um, people think about climate crisis is to think about the things that we can do and to think about the the problems and to, you know, sort of put it in a story because we're humans and we like stories um, in order to foster that active hope, that action for, you know, a hopeful future. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I I think obviously climate change is 
it's a hard sell, I think, for a lot of individuals in terms of like the longevity of it, right? It's, it's hard to get your head around because it's not it's not necessarily immediate, right? And it's, you know, oh, it's a cold day in Chicago, right? <laughs> What's climate change, right? And it's it's that short-term thinking versus the long-term nature of it. Um, we're seeing a lot in fiction right now, whether video games, media, comics, right? It's, it's being addressed more and more. But it's also like, it's kind of like you're saying, there's a legacy, there's a tradition in science fiction of it being very present, whether as meta, I mean, look at the, the birth of comics with Superman or superhero comics with Superman, right? It's, it's hard not to look at Krypton as a, as a climate change parallel mm -hmm. in terms of a truth being told, it being inconvenient and it being ignored. Right. Um, as you approach this fiction yourself, you know, what, how do you sort of balance like making climate change fun, right? Making it palatable and making, but not fun's the totally wrong word. I'm being facetious. I, I, what it should be is engaging. You know? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, <clears throat> you know, even though it's a slow boil thing and like, you know, it's like, I think what people miss with climate, it's like you said, it's a cold day in Chicago or, oh, it's warm today. And usually, you know, it's, it's February or, you know, or, oh, fire season started earlier this year or whatever. It's like such a slow boil um, kind of thing. And we as humans are so good at like, just <laughs> adapting to whatever, you know, is sort of thrown our way. I don't think it's so mm -hmm. much about like making it fun, but like reminding us that we're all living through this together. You know, um, we're all going through, I mean, I live in, I live in Los Angeles last summer was, you know, there were a lot of fires and it was, you know, there were, there were moments where, uh, you know, it looked like we lived on Mars. Um, and you couldn't go outside and you couldn't breathe. And, um, uh, you know, people are dealing with ice, you know, cold, like weather snaps and, uh, you know, more storms and, and, and a pandemic that we all went through. And there are going to be more of those because of climate change as things warm, as like, you know, as like new insects move, you know, to a better place for themselves. So, you know, we're all dealing with this together. So I think the point of writing stories like this and um, is making it relatable, right? Is, is making it um, yeah. something where it's like, it's just expanding a little bit of what we've all been through lately, because I don't think that there's anybody on the planet who hasn't been touched by some kind of weather event in the last five years, which is something that even if you don't believe that it's really happening or you don't really see, you know that things are messed up because your house is flooded or, you know, you're, you know, you had to evacuate or, um, you know, you couldn't go outside or, or whatever it is. And so I think that, that these kinds of stories by making it personal, right. By making it a personal thing for Maeve Malay, the character in my book, like who has to, literally be faced with what she thinks is a paradise and what she thinks is hell and realizing that both have different things to offer and both have different things worth saving, um, is, uh, you know, is just, uh, you know, it's just a way of sort of, uh, maybe making you think about those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a good way of looking at it. So I'm curious, you know, with the, the science of this, obviously, my questions so far have been pretty focused on climate change, which is a which is a key focus. But again, this is this is science fiction, and we're talking about parallel Earths and alternate realities, which is a good, fun, 
tried and true sort of, you know, angle to definitely to get my attention, right? As a big superhero comics fan through the ages. Um, there's a line in here that I loved, which was science takes us one step forward and stupidity slides us 10 steps back, which feels incredibly pertinent. Um, what science was most exciting to you in your research? Like what was the stuff as you were putting this together that you got most jazzed about? I mean, I'm a big science nerd. Both my parents are scientists. So like, I'm always like, you know, anytime, like, I think I get a lot of my ideas just by like having dinner conversations with my parents or, you know, my dad's like, oh, I read this article in Scientific American. I'm like, I could write a book about that. You know, um, <laughs> I think uh, for me, it was really, I got to talk to two scientists uh, for this, uh, Dr. Lisa Deliso, who's a botanist and uh, Dr. Clifford Johnson, who's a, um, a physicist. Um and, you know, when you're doing science fiction, I always go to scientists, talk to them, and then I do a little wiggling, you know. And uh, I think, I mean, the, 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 sci the science that um, Lisa was talking about, about, uh, you know, uh, something that she does, which is like try to find new variants of seeds, you know, so that, uh, you know, so that we can have a more robust sort of, uh, you know, diversity in our biodiversity in, in plants uh, is fascinating. It's super fascinating, you know. Um, and so that was really, really fun to sort of think about and to think about like how, you know, on a world where there's more uh, storms uh, or two moons or, you know, whatever, that, you know, maybe plants would evolve to be more resilient in the wind, which is what we need now, you know, uh, so that like in storms, plants won't break. And, and so that kind of science was just sort of fascinating. But then, I mean, I will always talk to a physicist about space time <laughs> because it's just the coolest thing in the world. Um, so it was really fun sort of, um, you know, talking with, um, with the, Clifford about, well, how could I make, how can I make this work? This thing that doesn't really, is not really a thing. Like, how can I get a wormhole here and whatever? And I kind of had fixated on this, um, this actual event that happened called the Carrington event, which happened in like the, you know, late 1800s or, and it was basically a solar storm. They don't know how to measure it, but it was so big that like, telegraph wires like burst into flames and like, you know, uh, like, you know, and if a storm like that, if, if a solar storm like that were to hit earth now, it would have a great, great effect. And so, you know, he's like, well, <laughs> maybe you can, but not really, <laughs> but you know, so I kind of, yeah, you know, wiggled, wiggled there, but, um, but it's fun to, you know, talk to scientists, um, about the real things that are going on and then make it into fiction, right? I'm not writing science, I'm writing science yeah. fiction and I'm not writing hard science fiction, but I do like to be able to like sort of, you know, uh, with every single science fiction that I write and even with superhero comics, like be able to say, well, I talked to this scientist and this is where I spun out my imagination from this real thing that is happening right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, are, are these just individuals that you, have a loose relationship with or can loose connections or is it like are you kind of is there like a journalistic <laughs> aspect to the job for you where you're like i need to dig this up and, and find these people well uh clifford is a friend and so you know uh, uh good to have a physicist on hand in case you uh need one and my parents are scientists so mm -hmm. you know for other stories like um i you know i might like um talk to them um uh, yeah I, and also there's a, a organization that i really love 
mostly they um, help movie people. Um, like Clifford has consulted on some Marvel films and things like that. Um, but uh, it's called the Science Entertainment Exchange, and it's through the National Academy of Sciences. And they're the ones who hooked me up with Dr. Deliso, the botanist. Um, so I just like emailed them and said, here's what my comic book is going to be about. I'm looking for a botanist that specializes in this. Is there anybody that you happen to know? And their jo- their mission is to connect uh, story Hollywood with um, scientists so that that science is sort of more realistic to have better depictions, more realistic depictions of science and scientists in um, in films and television. So I, you know, so when I don't have access to a scientist through my own connections, I am, um, I'll, I'll, I go to them and I ask them for help. Gotcha. That's really cool. I didn't know about that. That, that sounds like a really nice <laughs> organization. That sounds like a cool idea. Very good. Uh, so the, the yeah, theme. Yeah, I'm just going to say, just yeah. go to Science Entertainment. It, I think their, um, their Twitter is like at SciEnt. And, um, you know, they have, uh, they have a YouTube channel and, and they have, you know, they, they've been doing lectures on Zoom throughout the whole pandemic, like every couple, every week or two. And it's like scientists and people from Hollywood, like interviewing these scientists and, um, you know, just talking about really great topics. I went to one on Wednesday, which was about, um, de-extinction, which they got, um, they got a person who worked on Jurassic Park to interview two geneticists about sort of bringing back extinct animals like woolly mammoths and and things like that. And the sort of bioethics of it, it was a fascinating lecture. So you can check it out yourself. That sounds interesting. Very cool. Very good. Uh, so that, that actually ties to the next thing we're going to talk about, uh, in its own way, because my kids are obsessed with dinosaurs and <laughs> love Jurassic Park. And, uh, I think about them all the time now. And there's a theme in Shifting Earth, really a focal point of the narrative, um, is this existential dilemma of like, who would bring kids into this world, right? That sort of question. And again, as a, as a parent of young kids, it's something I think about a ton, think about it all the time. Um, you know, when I feel dread at the next article I read about, this burning earth, like it's not the dread isn't for me, right? It's it's for my kids, it's for their kids, that sort of thing. At the same time, it's not like I'm the first parent to experience this emotion, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, there it's something that there's been a lot of reasons for over time. What did you, as you were kind of putting together Maeve's uh, thought process and her characterization, um, why was it important to you to kind of have that fervent denial of having children early and, and then kind of like working on ways to subvert that by book's end? Um, you know, it's interesting. I am a child-free person, um, you know, for various reasons. Um, uh, but I'm an auntie to a lot of, uh, a lot of godmother to a lot of children who I care about very, very deeply and, and, you know, am very concerned and stuff about them. And I didn't, I didn't, I think that was sort of the aspect of hope, you know, um, is that, um, is that the, you know, the, the things that we're doing now affect the future. And, uh, the only, the only people that are going to like pay the consequence for our negligence is the future. And the only people who are going to be able to solve those problems are the future, you know, the, the children. And I think that, um, you know, no matter what time period you've been in, in human history, uh, children are the, you know, are the future and, and humans are cool. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think I'd like for us to be around, you know, even if I don't have my own children, like I like humanity, you know? And so, um, so I think that's part of the, part of the hope, you know, is that, um, you know, because I mean, look, life is still going to go on no matter what we do, but we're pretty special in the sense that we tell stories and I'm, I love trees and I know that they communicate, but I don't know that trees actually, you know, have a great, um, artistic side to them and maybe they do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, 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 you know, but, um, I certainly think that they're magical, but, um, but I think that one of the things that's really, really special about humans is that we are, we are so, uh, we're such a different kind of, um, life form. And I'm sure that there are other life forms that, um, you know, are cool like us somewhere else on the plant, uh, uh, in the universe. But, um, but on this planet, we're the only ones that are organizing and thinking about stories and making art and building buildings and doing, you know, all of that cool stuff. And I would like that to continue. And I think the only people that are going to do that are children. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Until we find our way to Meta and we can we can hang <laughs> out with the the Shade crew, right? Exactly. <laughs> we definitely need the, the avenues exactly. for humanity to extend here on Earth. Exactly. Um, so... It, it, <laughs> Moving on to kind of looking at at some of the rest of the catalog, um, between Plain Janes and Shade, you know, one thing I definitely picked up is like you're remarkably good at writing the teenage high school experience, you know, and that that struggle um, for young women in particular to sort of find yourselves and and figure out who you are and what you're doing and what's important to you. I found it interesting that you know you revisited Plain Janes not that long ago, right? Kind of through this pandemic. As you were, so the original graphic novel there came out between yourself and Jim Rugg, I think in the late 2000s, right? 2007, yeah. 2008. Mm-hmm. You're coming back to revisit it now. You've changed. The world's changed. What was, what felt different? And, you know, there's such a sweetness and, and a, a real belief in the power of art in that first Plain Janes. Has any of that changed for you as you kind of went back and revisited it? I mean, that's a really great question. And Jim Rugg and I, uh, shout out to Jim Rugg. Oh, can I just give a shout out to Flavia Biondi? Because I didn't uh, shout her out. And oh, yes. And on um, Shifting Earth. And she is just fabulous. And I think that the, um, the you know, the, the, the emotional drama that she brings between all the characters, she's so good at, like, the, the human scenes um, uh, between everyone. And so shout out to Flavia, my collaborator on Shifting Earth. But yeah, back to Plain Janes, um, you know, uh, Jim and I actually had that conversation because, you know, we both, I mean, Jim had done um, Street Ninja maybe, you know, and, and but he hadn't done very much at that point. And that was my first comic book. I'd never done a comic, but I'd done uh, two novels. Um, but all of a sudden, like we were coming back to it and finishing up the story that we had already plotted out mostly, you know, back in... 2008, like, you know, um, book three Mm. is basically originally in the Minx line, the Plain Janes was supposed to be four, four graphic novels. And so we kind of smushed for Plain Jane for this revision. Like when we went back, we sort of combined what we wanted to do in, um, the third graphic novel and the fourth graphic novel into one graphic novel. But, um, so we kind of knew where we were going. Like we had, we'd been trying to get the rights back from DC comics for, a long time. Um, and, uh, but it was this very strange thing for both of us to have to mimic kind like to mimic kind of the way that we wrote or drew back then, but 
now we have much more experience. Like I'm a better comic book writer. He's a better comic book, you know, artist. And um, we would both would approach things differently. And it's like, oh God, I never would have done that now. Or we never would have done that scene that way now. So it was this interesting way of gift, actually, of looking back at your own sort of early work and recognizing what was good about it and what still charms you, but trying and trying to match that, but trying to add your maturity to it as well to make it, you know, to sort of take it up a notch. Um, So it was really difficult and amazing and charming. And, you know, I mean, I think Jim and I both like read, we re, when we reread Plain Janes and Janes in Love to like, you know, talk about uh, Jane's attack back, we were like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like it holds up. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, I th- actually think that it came out in, in uh, end of January of 2020. And I actually think that it is more relevant now. Um, the Plain Janes is more relevant. It, it like, it, it it still is, it still echoes. It's, I think it's, it's just gotten sort of more, I don't want to say important, but like, you know, the, the message of that art saves and that art is really the way that, that we can find our voice. I think, um, you know, has just, it, it's just bloomed bigger for me, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, no, there's a resonance to the message that I think it, it can reflect uh, more more broadly based on what's happening in culture, obviously. And I think yeah. right now is definitely a good moment for it. That's interesting, too, that that both of you, it's funny, you know, I think when I've talked to a lot of creators, a, a lot will say, like, they never want to look back at their work, right? That they find it so cringy and, they, oh, I can't believe I wrote that thing five years ago, whatever it is, right? I think it's uh, somewhat natural for a lot of writers. But I, I love hearing you say that when you look back, you're like, yeah, that was good. Like, I, I like there's stuff that works here and I'm and right. I like it. Um, but then figuring out what's what you like to do differently now you know that's awesome yeah and i mean i definitely would have written plain janes and janes in love very differently were i to have you know started from you know what i mean like if i had the idea now and like was making it now i think that's what we thought but i think that like it you know we were both able to sort of look at what was good in it and like you know um uh and sort of like uh you know spin off from there yeah yeah no it's kind of like that it's that thing of like you know a, a, a first punk rock album Absolutely. where it's like the band doesn't quite know what they're doing you yep. know but it's like there's an energy and yep. there's a there's a desire and ambition there right and it just comes through 100%. and it's like 100%. you wouldn't do it the same way again yeah yeah and yeah. you shouldn't you but know it because it's like that's like the good news too is that it's like i think like you know jim and i we've grown as artists as writers, you know? And so we, you know, we tell our stories differently now and that's okay, but it is really good to go back and to like, look at your ABCs and be like, Oh, right. Like this is what I was interested in. And this is what I was doing. And, you know, how can we make it better now? And, um, and how much have I grown? It's a good measuring stick, you know? Sure. Sure. What do you, you know, so you've, you've written a fair amount of stuff since then. And we talked about some of it, what like was, was Shade the Changing Girl, I think, was was probably where a lot of readers became familiar with the work on the DC side because Young Animal had such a really kind of a moment. It was such an exciting imprint, obviously, of Gerard Way and his profile and those connections. Um, it just felt like this genuinely unique creative period uh, just across the whole line. And Shade was a, was a great part of that. Did you feel like you leveled up or like you, you took a leap? Um, creatively there um, in terms of like just getting your, your like you got to do what you 
wanted to do, like clear, or it felt that way at least. Did that resonate for you? Abs. I mean, young animal, that whole crew, everyone, Gerard and uh, all the other creators. Um, it was so special and so magical, and like one of those things where, you know, while I was writing Shade, you know, me and Marley just like it was like that. And I'm lucky because everyone that I've worked with, I just adore. And I would work with 10 million more times and have, you know, have become like lifelong blood siblings, you know. Um, but there was just something very, very magical about about Young Animal and about Shade and about um, working with Gerard and, and the whole crew of all the other, you know, um, creators on that line. And um I definitely felt like I was leveling up. Like one thing that I had really, really been longing to do that I had never done, I'd written graphic novels, but I'd never written a monthly comic. And that had been on my bucket list for a long time. I'd done one shots and, you know, but I'd never done like a, a monthly and, um, and I really felt like I wanted to do it. And, um, and, you know, shout out to Jamie Rich, who was the editor on Shade the Changing Girl and Shade the Changing Woman. He really pushed me in a way uh, that really freed me up, I think, as a creator. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. And, um, and, uh, the other great thing about him as an editor is that Shade the Changing Man was one of his favorite comics. And so, and I had like studied the entire run of Shade the Changing Man plus Ditko's Shade the Changing Man. So I was doing a lot of things where I was trying to, echo things from those earlier books, uh, make our thing, our own thing. But if you know, if you'd read those other books, there would be little aha like moments. And you can't do that if your editor doesn't know intimately the entire history of that comic as well. And so I was really, really lucky that like he completely understood what I was trying to do and could guide me to somewhere better when I was trying to like um, echo something in Milligan's run. Um, so just shout out to him, shout out to Jamie Rich for that. And, um, and Gerard, Gerard was incredible, you know, like, like meeting Gerard was like, like the first time I met him when I interviewed for the job, it was just like, oh yeah, you like, yeah, that's, we're friends and it's on and like whatever. And, um, and I remember that like, there was this sort of moment, I think where me and Gerard knew that there was something really special was when, you know, he, had, you know, he had said, okay, he had drawn a preliminary picture of shade and was like, okay, this is what she's going to look like. And I said, oh yeah, but she's a bird. She's not, she's not a human from meta. She's a bird. She's a bird in a human's body. And all of a sudden Gerard was like, yes. And then he drew a bird <laughs> in our meeting and was like, this is Loma. And I was like, yep, that's her. Yeah. And that was like the, you know, that was, I think the moment where we knew we were really kind of on, onto something, but yeah, I love that book. Yeah. Same. I, it's, it's such a fun, fun read. I'd highly recommend people go and check it out if you haven't. It's, it's just got that perfect blend of like, it's very, the, the first arc in particular is very relatable in terms of the teenage high school experience, but then it's simultaneously so abstract and poetic in all these interesting ways. I, I really love that blend. Um, yeah, how many, how many journals of Rock Shades poetry have you written? How many journals? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, 
that like even in that there's climate change because you know a part of like um Loma's despair in shade the changing woman you know when she sort of like is sort of in despair with humanity and with herself and with you know sort of the deception of what she thought earth was going to be um you know how how different it is than what she thought and um is, and and that you know her superpower is madness, and she's just like humanity is mad. Look at what 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 you're doing to your planet. Like, look at what's happening here. So uh, and feeding on that madness, the madness of what humanity has done to itself, that was sort of fueling her the madness going even more haywire. What were you going to say about rack, rack shades poetry? <laughs> my my joke question was how many journals of rock shades poetry do you have around the house oh <laughs> that are that are unused <laughs> yeah i yeah probably tons i mean i did scribble a lot <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> amazing um so another a, a couple more dc books that i want to mm -hmm. touch on you know with with one question per basically um female furies really interesting 2019 book i think it's maybe at least in the reactions that i saw maybe the most controversial thing you've done at dc um, in terms of like very clearly and, and deliberately, and I think, um, succinctly and effectively showing, you know, misogyny and, and sexual harassment, but through the context of the, the female furies of, of the fourth world and with granny goodness, um, I, I was, so I was thinking about this a lot where there's an interpretation of dark side where you have dark side as the harasser. And I saw there was this weird thing where that got fans extremely upset there because is. fans really like Darkseid. We know he's evil. We know he's the worst, right? That is his whole character is being the personification of evil. And yet seeing him do this human thing was deeply upsetting. Oh. I mean, <laughs> and I thought, to, and, and I thought like, well, it's, go ahead, go ahead. Like, what was, what was that like for you? Like in terms of the reaction, I'm sure you saw a lot of just BS, but like in terms of the, the, criticism of that book i thought it was good did you you must have anticipated that blowback what was the experience like i mean you can't be a woman in comics and write um any kind of superhero comic at all without i mean even with shade people you know i got lots of hate mail um uh, you you just can't be a woman in comics and not and not uh receive some of that especially if you're if you're if you're dealing with um beloved characters um I think that for one thing, I studied very hard and read the entire New Gods um, omnibus, like read every single issue. Yeah. And um, there are moments, uh, that book is with Adriana Mello. There are moments in that book where I would give Adriana the panel that I was pulling an idea from from one of the issues mm -hmm. in the entire, entire omnibus to back up a point. I knew that I had to really know what I was doing and that I would have to be able to back it up. Um, and I remember having, uh, there was a, a Baltimore Comic-Con, there was like a conversation and it was like me and Tom King talking about like remixing, you know, uh, Kirby's, uh, you know, um, New Gods and, you know, and, and, you know, Tom, uh, you know, his isn't really set in the exact same in the period of like sort of Kirby's world. His is sort of spun out like sort of, you know, in our world and outside and like whatever. Um, 
And like, you know, you know, he was just kind of like saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, I didn't do I didn't, you know, I know this, but I didn't do this. And, you know, not that he doesn't know his stuff. He knows his shit very, very well. But like I was like, oh, no, I can point to you like this panel and this idea comes from this issue and this thing, because I knew yeah. people would say that I hadn't done my homework and that I didn't know anything. And so. Whenever I, so in a way when, when, and trust me, I got a lot of them, uh, not only tagged in tweets, but tagged in everything and got emails and messages about how dumb I was and how I didn't know anything. And I hadn't even ever read the new gods and stuff. Trust me, <laughs> I read it so closely. Um, I believe you. Unfortunately, and, yes. You know, so that was, you know, that was really difficult, but, um, I think that the one thing that I really learned in reading Kirby's work himself is that the relationship between Darkseid and Granny Goodness is very, I, I think that he keeps her close because he knows that she's more powerful in a way than, than he is. And, you know, and he has that sort of relationship with her. And I think that that, that moment uh, to me, as a woman who lives in this world, rang very, very true. And one of the things that in Female Furies that I was trying to talk about was about how, you know, women of a certain age sort of dealt with things in one way, and that's how they had to survive. And then women, you know, uh, after that, you know, from the very good work that they did, got, you know, had a different Thing. And now younger women are dealing with things in a new way. And that was one of the things mm -hmm. that I was trying to sort of like talk about, um, about how it's like a slow evolution to change and to awakening to these, you know, problems of misogyny and biases and sexism and harassment and all of those things. That story with Aurelia um, is plucked from Mr. Miracle, I think it's issue eight, that Jack Kirby wrote where she dances to death and she's being harassed by, you know, Willick. So it's like, I, all I did was. It's one of the scariest things Kirby's ever written. I think yeah. like, it's like, it's just like a panel, but it's like, it's horrifying. It is horrifying. And like, and like, so there's nothing in my female furies that I didn't directly take from Kirby's work. You know, um, yeah. all I did was like, you know, we talk about comics and, and how, you know, the reader fills in a lot of stuff between the between the gutters, between the panels, and that that's the conversation that a comic has with its reader. And all I did was right. push that open and put new panels in that I think Kirby was hinting at, but because he was writing in the time that he did, even though he was as progressive as he was in thinking about women in certain ways, there's still messed up stuff in there that, you know, that he had awareness gaps in. And, um, and so I just like, you know, sort of broke on through with that. And I'm really, really proud of that book. It's not an easy book, I think, for, you know, people to read. I mean, you know, like I love Tom's Mr. Miracle. That's an easier, even though it's got like triggering things, you know, like hard, you know, life and questions and existential dread and all that. Um, I think it's an easier book to sort of like, in, you know, um, sort of slip into. I think um, Female Furies is a little bit more difficult, but, but I think that I, my belief is that the, you know, me and Adriana's Female Furies is, is a, is a really, a, a really great feminist reexamination of um, of the new gods and of um, of 
you know, placing it firmly in, in our awakening era to uh, thinking about these kinds of Me Too um, things. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I found so interesting about it was examining it from that perspective. It was a perspective that I certainly wouldn't have come to it from and, and thought about, but the book made me think about it. Um, that was, you know, you mentioned your, the fact that, you know, you feel like you have to do all this homework because you know, there's going to be all this just nonsense coming from, from the worst kind of fans. And I'm I, sorry that you have to put up with that at all. Um, but that was one of the things I thought was the coolest about it was the fact that you're clearly, and, and I wouldn't have recognized this at the time, but somebody was like, Hey, like you should reread Mr. Miracle, the Hyman story if you're going to read this. So I did. And then it's like, Oh yeah, it's right there. It's right. right there. Like you're pulling directly from that. And this is filling in the gaps. And that's so cool. I love stories like that. Um, and then to re-examine it from a, a modern perspective. Yeah. And that's why I'm really, really glad I, I, I asked DC if they could put that in the collected um, female furies uh, mm. novel. I asked them if they would put that um, issue of Mr. Miracle um, that I pulled the story from in the back just so that there would be that sort of context, you know, so that it's like, here, this is where I got it from. You can read it yourself. Yeah. Like, I didn't make anything up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I made a lot up, yeah. but, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's all, it's all not real. Let's remember that. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I, one thing that I, I kept saying, um, cause I, I had a video I did on YouTube that was about my favorite TC comics of the year at the time. And I had female furies on the list. So naturally oh, nice. that leads to them. The common commenters fixate on that alone. And they're like, I, I hate it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. For obvious reasons. But it's like some of that, I'm, my go-to response was like, why are you okay with dark side loving carrots and a veggie tray in the King <laughs> Gerard's right. Versus this interpretation, right? It's like, they're both equally like not what we think of necessarily when we think of this like character we just want to have fun with and worship but it's like why are you okay with that and not okay with this interpretation which actually has something to say <laughs> like like shouts to mr miracle i love it but that's absolutely. just a joke you know absolutely and you know what i don't know if i could get away if i had put dark side having a veggie tray in my book i can't imagine what kind of um vitriol i would have gotten for that you know Mm -hmm. It's like, that's like, mm -hmm. that's what's, you know, that's what's like a little bit, I mean, you know, don't get me started. Like, um, you know, uh, like on that, like, you know, it's like, it's, you know, you're, 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 you're judged in a very, very different way. Um, and yeah, I, it was, it was actually really hard. Like the, um, the, the, some of the, some of the messages that I got were, you know, very upsetting. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. I, I believe you, and I, I, sorry that happened. That's that sucks. It's it's my absolute least favorite thing about comics fandom. Yeah, me um, too. and I, I would love to see less of it. Yeah, me, me too. Um, <laughs> I bet, I bet. So I mean, it's it's a, a similar tact because this is another book that kind of has, I, I guess, similar baggage in some ways. But you know, you see, you got the right back girl, and you have this nice long run from 34 to 50. Um, I think a lot of fans wish it had gone longer, and maybe we we'll talk about that too. But um, you got to write, and I think it's issue 48. It's part of the Joker War. You got to write kind of like a response to The Killing Joke yeah. um, from Barbara Gordon, uh, which is obviously a book that has come under a ton of fire as sort of a modern reappraisal. Um, I think even Alan, you know, Alan Moore has pretty famously like disowned the work, but it's still one of the biggest Batman stories because it's, it's flipping Alan Moore and Brian Boland. Mm -hmm. um, what was that book like for you? Um, what was that opportunity like? And it, it felt to me reading the run, and I reread it recently, like the second not the second, but like basically when you get into that issue and then you get into the, the Gordon stuff that that book was like taking flight, like yeah. it was soaring. 
Um, I guess, how did that feel for you being able to address those, those big moments in Batman history or Batgirl? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really hard when you are uh, coming in to do a book that is um, in continuity, you know, and is in the shared universe. And, um, you know, I, I, um, I felt a little bit like I had a little bit of my wings clipped at the beginning because I started off in year of the villain. I was also in Leviathan. I was also in city of Bane. So I had to like accommodate all those things. And then like, you know, and then it's a comedy of crossovers. Holy yeah, God. exactly. And, you know, and, and everybody loves to use Batgirl <laughs> and all of their things. And so that, um, so that was like a little bit uh, difficult, um, you know, also, uh, you know, I was kind of sad that they ended it at 50, but they were rebooting everything, you know, like everything kind of restarted in this new, you know, kind of thing like they do um, every once in a while. So I was okay with that. Um, I had a couple of, um, you know, uh, things that I wanted to do with Barbara Gordon. Um, I wanted to give her her, her own uh, she doesn't really have a rogues gallery, so I wanted to give her her own villain. So me and Marguerite Sauvage um, created a, a villain for her that's uh, in issue 50 um, and then is again in uh, uh, Gotham, whatever, one of the the new ones we did like a little backup Oracle story. Um, yeah. And, um, and so it's this character named Vi Ross, who's like, you know, also like a, you know, like a hacker, like, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, with the, with the Joker war thing, I had had completely different plans because there was supposed to be a whole different thing that was coming down the pipeline, but then that got yeah. like, you know, sideswiped. Um, and I had been given one direction. And so there was going to be a whole new thing. And then, um, and then they decided that they were going to do Joker war. And, uh, I got a, um, I got a email with a picture of the cover of Joker knocking on Barbara Gordon's door. And they were like, okay, this is going to be your new, I think it's 47, your new issue 47, uh, okay. we have to come up with a story for that and it has to tie into the Joker Warren and James had written me a little note and whatever. And I had a long talk with my editor, Jessica Chen and was just like, you're going to have this. I feel like we need to do something about this because everybody is always having Barbara revisit this trauma and it always is, yeah. a, you know, they're always like forcing this like sort of trauma and grief over and over and over and over and over on her re-traumatizing. And now I have a cover where Joker's knocking on the door. I was like, I was like, we got let's can we please make this issue be a response? I know that everyone's still going to do what they're going to do with Barbara after like everybody. They love that thing. But like, can I just please as a girl writer? do this. And Jessica was totally down with it. And Robbie Rodriguez and I and her hopped on the phone and really talked about how we could try to maybe echo some of the things in um, Killing Joke, but have it from Barbara's perspective and like have her sort of mm. take ownership over her body in a way that uh, the Joker had uh, removed um, agency over her body. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so just tried to do sort of a, a sort of, you know, response, you know, um, to that where Barbara sort of like, you know, became, uh, 
had made not her peace. Like she's not like my trauma is over because you know, things like, but that like I have done the work and I know who I am and I am not afraid to be in the chair or not be in the chair. I am still a superhero and you, you, we have a problem, but I can face you. And, you know, like, um, so it was really important. And so I think that I'm very proud of that issue. And I think that it really does stand up to, you know, um, killing joke, um, uh, you know, as a, as a response. Um, and, you know, I hope that down the line, when people do more stuff with Barbara, because that's the whole thing with superheroes, right? Is like you get the character for a little while and you you move the character forward a little bit and then people come back and do their research and, you know, and, oh, that they did that and this. I can play on that or whatever. That's the, it's the baton passing. So, um, so hopefully the little things that I brought to Barbara, that, um, uh, you know, I also wanted to make her uh, really sort of start to consider what it might mean to not be able to be Batgirl anymore and how she could be a hero to Gotham um, in different ways. And in her original run in the seventies, you know, she becomes a Congresswoman. And so, you know, um, sort Mm -hmm. of like sort of a line, a line for that. But yeah, I did feel like I was just getting started because I felt like I was just beginning to tell the stories that I wanted to tell about Batgirl rather than having to sort of put myself into a, um, a, a crossover event. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it's too bad it didn't it didn't get more. Um, and it, I I really enjoyed. It. I I wasn't crazy about Joker War. I think it was fine. There's there's really good stuff in in that run and sort of that universe. Um, but that's definitely a standout issue. I mean, I think no question. Um, and I think if you've read The Killing Joke, it's impossible not to recognize it as a response, right? <laughs> like I just think you know, especially like there's the sequence of and you mentioned giving the agency. It's not even something I recognize until now. But like when you have Barbara crawling through the the red, you know, all the photos everywhere and mirroring yeah. that panel of what is her dad's experience yeah. with pictures of her, right? She's just yeah. in pictures and she's, she's the one who has no control, no agency at all. And this time it's her crawling back. Yeah. I said, just, there's something so powerful about the idea of this character. Like, like now she's thought about it. Now she's ready. Like here's yeah. how she would deal with this situation yeah. as opposed to just being a victim. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And like, she has her whole, like, I think that's something that comes across clearly in that she has her apartment set up in case she's on the floor. She can fight from the floor, but you know, it's like, she's always thinking about that. And I thought that that was really important. And once again, shout out to Robbie Rodriguez, who I think really, um, he really nailed it. He really did a beautiful job. Yeah. Those are, those are great looking comics. Um, all right. So I, I, one, I think I have two more questions for you. The last one, uh, on your website, it says you've been watching every Disney movie in order yes. through the pandemic. What were the highlights and the lowlights of <laughs> of the Disney binge? Well, I'm. <laughs> that's a hard question. I'm only on like, uh, I still have 250 to go. Um, I'm only on like mm. number 208. Uh, I think up next is Huck Finn. The last one was Toy Story. Um, okay. Uh what were the highlights? I mean, there are a lot of bad ones. That's what I got to say. Um, but then yeah. there's some weird, interesting ones. Like, you know, I hadn't seen Sleeping Beauty in a long time, and that's it's just gorgeous. Um, there mm. are some films that, like, stand up and some that don't. Uh, there's a lot of cowboy movies that are really, I think, not okay, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Like, you know, um, I didn't, 
I didn't really like any of the Fess Parker movies, uh, the Davy Crockett's. And my friend laughed at me so much. Okay. Yeah, she, uh, she sent me – Fess Parker has – a vineyard, like a wine, you know, vineyard. She sent me a bottle of wine with a Fess Parker wine glass because I kept saying that I hated him so much. Um, but it's been, it's been really, uh, you know, the usual ones are pretty good. Um, but then some of them you're kind of like, oh, I can see how this is a problem or why they're putting a, um, a disclaimer um, in the front. The ones that have been retired that are problematic are more problematic than you even like you think, Oh yeah, it's going to be bad. But then you watch it and you're like, Oh no, this is bad. Um, worse than you expected. Much gotcha. worse than you expected. There are a lot of really boring ones. Um, and ones that are, uh, kind of weirdly interesting. Like I just, um, like, like flight, I saw flight of the navigator. Like there are some that I'm like, Oh, they should remake this. So like Flight of the Navigator, I just saw there was an announcement in Deadline or something like that that I think Jessica Chastain is like rebooting Flight of the Navigator. Mm. I was like, oh, good, because I feel like there was something there mm. and like somebody needs to, you know, somebody needs to redo that. Or like um, there's this weird one called, it's like Bluebeard's Ghost or something like that. And I was like, what the hell is this movie? This movie okay. awesome, you know, like, like let me at it, Disney. Yeah. I, I want to reboot that, you know. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been... It's been really interesting also to see the um the voice of a, a studio kind of as it as it sort of changes and tries uh, to mm. find itself and you know I'm a big you know I wrote comics for Disney I wrote Little Mermaid Snow White and uh Frozen so um I'm a big fan but yeah they've got some hits and misses Sure Sure. That's interesting. No, it's a, it's an interesting project. Uh, so, all right. So we got shifting earth here. We're going to include links in the show notes and all that. Um, what's next for you? What do you, what do you have coming up? What do you want people to know about? Well, uh, it just got announced the other day, so I can talk about it. I've got a graphic novel, um, that's coming out call, uh, that I'm just starting to work on with an artist, uh, Shazlene Khan. Um, it's called my first monster. And, um, it's about a girl who start in high school, who starts dating, you know, the cutest, most popular boy in school who turns out is a literal monster. Um, so I'm really excited about that one. And um, also uh, announced um, AMC Publishing is uh, doing, uh, they're doing a pre, I'm doing, I'm writing a prequel uh story comic book to um uh miss fisher's modern mysteries which uh, uh you know uh, uh miss fisher's miss fisher mysteries which is Franny fisher in the 1920s she's like this fabulous lady and so i'm writing a um a young adult sort of prequel to her and her fabulous like 1920s um so it takes place in 1917 and uh i don't know what else i think that's it for now gotcha Okay, cool, cool. We'll keep an eye peeled for those. All right, um, this has been great. Where, where should people find you? What, what other things do you want to make sure people... I'd like to do another superhero, so hopefully yeah. hopefully, I'll be doing something like that. Coming soon, coming soon. Um, where should people find you? Where should people look for your stuff if you want them to, to connect? Uh, so um, CecilCastellucci.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Miss Cecil. And on Instagram, I'm at Cecil Seaskull, which is my old punk name. Cool. 
All right. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, seriously, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And, uh, and, and again, everybody, links for Shifting Earth are going to be in the show notes. And, of course, you can find me at Comic Book Herald uh, pretty much everywhere. I'm Dave, and you can find all that good links in the show notes and stuff. So, Cecil, thanks so much for doing Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.